Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Big week in Alberta politics for a lot of different reasons. And we're going to try to make a little bit of sense of some of it with you tonight. We may or may not be joined by the incomparable Sarah Biggs a little bit later on. But it's her birthday, so if she doesn't join us, please make sure that you add her and wish her a very happy birthday. I hear 25 is a, is a hell of a year. Um we're going to get right into things uh, because we do have a whole lot to talk about. One of the groups that we've spent a lot of time talking about over the last little while has been the Alberta Prosperity Project. They are a, a bit of a Alberta problematic project, perhaps, um, because they have been advocating a position um, or policy of separatism. They've been very, very clear that they believe that Alberta should be a separate country. They've advocated for this quite clearly. They they even went so far as to host a, a UCP leadership debate where they talked about that a little bit. More on that in a sec, though, because they had some developments this week. First development. It's a big one. So the Alberta Prosperity Project announced, oh, my gosh, they lost. They lost their main guy. Dr. Dennis Modry, who is a um, polarizing figure. He's a physician who, uh, well, ex-physician. I'm not sure what the term, non-practicing physician perhaps is the term. Um, he uh, got made, made himself a bit of a name coming through the pandemic because he had some, let's go with non-evidence-based opinions uh, about vaccination and health protections and all of that sort of thing. And he has been for quite some time the, uh, the figurehead of the Alberta Prosperity Project. And he, he left. He resigned. He said, he said goodbye. So the Alberta Prosperity Project was presumably they were very, very sad because they had this wonderful plan about uh, all of the things. They had Daniel Smith saying that she, they were her plan B if, if Justin Trudeau didn't come to heal. But it was a really bad week for them because they also lost a bunch of their organizing members. Um uh, operational team members. Apparently there was a, an email that was sent out and uh, that, that email, we don't have a copy of it. If anyone has one, we, mm, our DMS are open. Um, but apparently in that email, there was some concern raised about the fact that the Alberta prosperity project has made a bit of a hard pivot. They've gone from their hardline uh, separatism approach to a, a softer approach. They, they've kind of figured out that uh, I'll quote the, their, their little release here. We've spoke to thousands of people, businesses and organizations. And what has become clear is that the term independence is seen as a step into the unknown, which frightens many Albertans. So they're now advocating more for an autonomous, sovereign sort of state of Alberta. Sounds Really familiar. Sounds a lot like something that we've maybe heard, I don't know, the Premier of Alberta 
talk about a lot lately. It's almost as if heading into the election that this uh, this group of folks is is pivoting so that they'll be able to best represent people. Maybe one of them's the premier. Who's who's to say? But they've received a lot of criticism from their 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 fans and their base about how they've just basically turned into UCP light. So they're down a president. They're down a leader. They're down some operational members. But uh, Dr. Motor ain't done yet. Look around you. I have never been more alive. Dr. Dennis Modry. No, that's not that's not Dr. Dennis Modry. That's I'm not falling for this again. Let's uh, let's see if we have some some perhaps some some file footage of of Dr. Modry. The United uh, or the uh, UCP uh, recently affirmed a working group by the uh, with the federal government to meet these net zero obligations of the Paris Climate Accord. What will you do to protect and enhance our hydrocarbon industry in this context? And third or second, will your government participate in this working group and prevent what some of you probably don't know yet is the military-style enforcement planned by the federal government by developing a 50,000-square-foot facility in Winnipeg, which is an armory with interrogation rooms to talk to people who are not compliant with climate uh, dictates. So what will you do with respect to uh, preventing uh, these sorts of controls on us? And will you carry on with this with this federal provincial um, committee that seems to be struck with your government or with with the UCP? So that was Dr. Zola. I mean, Dr. Modri at the UCP leadership debate that only three candidates attended, because not only was the Alberta Prosperity Project making itself very clear that they wanted to be a separatist party, but they also had a bunch of documentation on their website where they were talking about how they wanted to be their own party. They had bylaws. They had a bunch of different things setting up. But that's Dr. Modry right there talking about the great scandal. Daniel Smith. She was upset about it, too, because there's this whole story about how they're building this military complex in Winnipeg, of all places, to enforce climate law. It's going to be a police state. What was the source of that story again? Let's take a quick walk down memory lane. Oh, right. Angry Caillou. So this was all based on a story that was produced by the the, the Counter Signal, which is a um, a website. I'll call it generously. Run by ex-rebel uh, dark universe version of Caillou. Um, and he released this story where he talked about, oh my gosh, you guys, it's going to be the worst thing ever. There's this, there's this, uh, Trudeau is installing weapons, uh, armories, interrogation rooms for the Ministry of Climate Change. Worst thing ever could possibly be. Can you imagine Canada's turning into a police state? He even had blueprints where the blueprints showed this is what this, this new military facility is, is going to look like. There's a few problems, though, because it wasn't any of that. Of course it wasn't. It was for the Ministry of Environment. And the, the, the wet rooms that they were talking about were for dissections of animals that, that die under unknown circumstances. The firearms lockers that he was talking about. Conservation officers carry guns because sometimes they need them. That's just reality. 
uh, it was all a great big smoke and mirrors, giant nothing burger. But not only did Dr. Modry fall for it, hook, line, and sinker, the current premier of Alberta also fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, producing this little meme about, hey, Justin Trudeau, he's hiring these climate police conservation officers nationwide. And they're going to have weapons and stuff. And then they they did a wonderfully copyright infringing uh, graphic from Paul Bart Malkar. That tweet turned into a whole separate thing of its own because there were people who were tagging the, the people who produced the film as well as the, the actor who plays Paul Bart. I've never seen it, so I can't speak to it. But there were, there were quite a few people who were, were tagging them in that. And it really... It caused some furor. So Dr. Modry has demonstrated that he doesn't have the best, I don't know what to call it. I'm going to go with BS detector. I'm going to say that Dr. Modry, perhaps swallowing this story, hook, line, and sinker, maybe he doesn't have the greatest BS detector. But Daniel Smith also fell for it, hook, line, and line and sinker. I, I wonder how how her BS detector is. How's your BS detector evolved over time? Uh, I tend to be pretty trusting. I'm never going to get tired of that clip. Moving on from there. And for those of you that are playing along in the Twitter spaces, I believe according to the new drinking game that was created today, that's a drink. Uh, moving on from there, there was a couple of other things that happened. One of the things that happened was there a leak was a leak of this this screen capture that got out into the ether. And this is ostensibly we haven't been able to confirm this particular graphic. But we have been able to confirm a couple of other things. So according to this particular graphic, it's talking about the new chartered uh, private health care surgical facilities that Daniel Smith and the UCP are going to be pursuing aggressively to free up the, the knee surgeries and the hip surgeries and all of, all of the, the basic surgeries that, uh, that, that are quite backlogged. And there's, there's no question that those surgeries are quite backlogged. But what this graphic talks about is the fact that the staffing problem that exists in Alberta remains a staffing problem. So there just aren't enough anesthesiologists. There aren't enough nurses. There aren't enough staff. There aren't enough all of those things to do all of the surgeries. So how do you navigate this? Well, according to this graphic, one of the parts of the deal that the province has signed with the folks that are going to be doing these surgeries is, hey, you know what? You guys can do, let's say, and I'm pulling a number out of the air here, 25 of these surgeries a day. That's what you've said you can do. We're going to pay you for 25 surgeries every day, regardless of whether or not you actually get around to doing the surgeries. Now, there's a couple of other little points of nuance that are important to understand, according to this graphic. And one of those is the people who are getting their surgeries done at chartered facilities are the people who have the lowest risk. These are people who presumably according to statistics and whatnot, they are the people who aren't going to develop post-surgical complications. They're the people who aren't going to need to be admitted or go to an ICU or any of those things. So these are, we're not talking about bariatric patients. We're not talking about patients with history of cardiac stuff. These are the simplest of the simple patients. Anybody who has any of those 
comorbidities is going to be not treated in these facilities because there isn't the ability for people to uh, be admitted in an ICU because it's not a hospital. It's just an operating theater. And this is really, really important to understand. Because what it means is the people who are getting the surgeries done in the charter facilities are comparatively less sick than the people who are going to be getting their surgeries done still through the the public system. Well, what this graphic says, or and it claims, is that because of the staff shortage and because the province is paying for these surgical suites and the X number of surgeries per period of time, um, no matter what happens, whether or not those surgeries get done, whether or not there's staffing that exists there, the companies still get paid. Well, HS doesn't want to, sorry, not HS, the powers that be don't want to throw that money to waste. So what they've decided to do is they're going to pull staff out of the, the public operating theaters and they're going to move them to these chartered facilities so that money doesn't go to waste. And from a purely fiscally responsible standpoint, you can see the argument to be made there. The problem, though, as that graphic says, is that that means that the people who have those comorbidities, who have a cardiac history, who have bariatric issues, their surgeries, they might just be getting canceled. So right out of the gates, we are seeing that there are, with these charter facilities, we're already seeing that it is absolutely impacting the flow of the public health care system. And this is public money that's going to private companies. So this is, it, it is pretty complicated. One of the other pieces that we've had to, to do with this little piece is we threw it out to the ether and we said, hey, are there anybody, anybody who works in any of these surgical settings that can speak to whether or not there's validity to this? And we did hear from somebody that we know is deeply enmeshed in this situation. And they confirmed, this is what we've been told. So right out of the gates there, we can see the the private impact on public health care and it has directly to do with a staffing shortage it we're, these these facilities aren't creating more surgeries ostensibly they're pulling surgeries and staff away from the public system and in the meantime those public surgeries aren't happening which brings us sorry um, my bad. Let me get let me let me do it right. Moving on from there. That brings us to the 90 day press conference that we had on Monday where we had health minister copping. We had Danielle Smith and her her arm cat uh, and the health administer administ, administrator administrator uh, Dr. John Cowell speak to the progress that they've made. And they had some they had some thoughts. But one of the questions that came up had to do with another area of healthcare that's been privatized, and that had to do with labs. Throughout this press conference, you guys have spoken about ways you're improving access to care and reducing wait times. Um, just curious to know uh, what is being done about lab services. Right now in Calgary, 
the earliest many Albertans can get in for an appointment. Uh, we took screenshots this morning. It was in late Mar March and even April. Uh, this is delaying treatment uh, for Albertans. Uh, why is this happening? And are you having any conversations with the contractor, Dyna Labs, uh, about these wait times and why they are so long? So, so I can start that, and uh, Dr. Cowley, you want uh, to to uh, to weigh in on that. So we are continuing, like as you know, um, you know, DynaLife has taken over the contract to provide community-based service, and uh, and APL provides much of the current services within um, the uh, the hospitals as they as they did previously. Um, you know, there is some transition piece, right? Um, but we are working with DynaLife to uh, to not only invest in increasing capacity, um, but to be able to reduce those uh, those uh, wait times. There, they, they are like um, many of our healthcare um, uh, professionals. That, like, like they are dealing with some of the same challenges that the broader healthcare system is in terms of in terms of staffing. Um, so it's not only about you know nurses and, and doctors and, and paramedics, but it's also about uh, technicians. Um, so as as you know in in budget. Uh, 2022, um, we expanded uh, the um, number of seats for training for uh, a whole variety of healthcare pro professionals, and we're going to continue to do that. So we'll work to be able to provide the uh, build capacity within not only our broader healthcare system, but that includes our uh, our testing, so that people can get uh, testing results sooner, so they can get the diagnosis and then get the treatments that they need faster. I don't know, Dr. Kyle, if you want to any more comment it wasn't uh, specific to one of my four priorities but I'm certainly aware of your concern um, our CEO who knows a lot about lab is here maybe he'd like to give you an answer towards that actually covered it quite well when you look at the transition of employees that we've got we have approximately 1200 APL employees that went over to dine life so now we're adopting their systems their metrics their booking systems and all that so the, the the bigger transition took place December 5th so we're about 60 days into it so we expected some bumps as we go forward as they start to smooth line those out get trained into the systems and a little more accustomed with them we'll see the wait times get back to where Calgary was used to before in Edmonton we don't see them because they've already been dine life sites and once they get transitioned appropriately to those systems, they'll see improvements for sure. So, just to be clear, the reporter asked, hey, we're seeing really long delays with people getting lab testing because of the changes that y'all made when you privatized stuff. What's, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is it going to get better? And they said, well, anytime you make a major change, it's going to have these sorts of impacts. So it's another example of how the, the privatization of these services is creates negative potential outcomes for patients navigating the healthcare system. It's a pretty big deal. But that's not what the press conference was about. The press conference was about, hey, but how is, how is the state of healthcare? Let's remember, we'll turn back the clock for a sec. Danielle Smith made a big thing about how the AHS board had driven AHS into the ground. It was a system in crisis. Uh, they had failed miserably to create the thousand ICU beds that, that she still repeats, despite the fact that that's simply demonstrably false. That's, that's effectively a lie. There was never supposed to be a thousand ICU beds. There was supposed to be surge capacity identified. That surge capacity was identified. Wouldn't have made any staff, made any sense, sorry, to pull staff out of hospitals and clinics to have them stand beside empty ICU beds when there were patients who needed their care. 
We've seen no shortage of examples of people who have shared their stories about how their healthcare was impacted because of the impact of the pandemic on the healthcare system. So pulling out all of those staff to staff ICU beds never would have made any sense. It's, it's a ridiculous, preposterous thing. But Daniel Smith used that as justification. Healthcare systems in crisis is failure. We got to get we got to fire the AHS board, even though they're not an operational board and have no control over the day to day of things. We're going to fire them. We're going to bring in Dr. John Cal. Well, how did Dr. Cal describe the state of AHS? Not just today, but when he first found it. When I started at Albert Health Services in November, I was told that this was a system in crisis and a broken organization, and I didn't really know what to expect. I am here today, however, to tell you that AHS is not in crisis and is not broken. There you go. Healthcare's fine. Everything's good. All of those stories you hear about uh, the the horrors that exist in the healthcare system, all of the the DMs that we've posted over the last forty eight hours that we've received, some of which we couldn't even share, which I think is really important to highlight. There were we received quite a few DMs from people who wanted to just a express their frustration and their anger at working inside of a failing system that's collapsing, but that we're also terrified that even if all identifying information was removed, there would be some way that they could be found out and there would be some sort of reprisal against them. Now, if you haven't checked out that thread, it's up on our, on our Twitter. Would strongly, strongly encourage you to read it because there's some powerful, powerful stories in there from healthcare workers who are doing their very best to hold everything together. But this wasn't the only time that, that Dr. Cal made the news this week. Just a couple of hours before we started putting tonight's show together, this, uh, this little story here broke. So it turns out back in November, less than two weeks after Dr. Cal had taken over the role of administrator to deal with the, the wastage, the, the entitlement, the middle management that was bloated and out of control. So much taxpayers' money being waste. We got to get better value on the buck. Uh, he rented a limo for the day for $1,400 to go up to Edmonton to view the throne speech. He rented a private limo. CBC ran the story literally just a couple of hours ago. They have all of the supporting documentation. They make it very clear that it was an extended passenger vehicle that was uh, that was rented for the day for Dr. Cowell to go and attend the throne speech. Now, the justification that was used as a as a response was that he needed a place to make private phone calls if he needed to. So thus the the limo for the day. which has some scary implications because he only made, according to the story, two stops. One of them was at the legislature. The other one was at uh, an Alberta Health Services facility in Edmonton. The implication is that there's nowhere at that facility that Dr. Cowell would have been able to have a private phone conversation. And even better, there's nowhere in the legislature that Dr. Cowell would have been able to have a private conversation where he would have been able to get a little bit of privacy. It can't be done at the legislature. That's the, that's the implication. 
perhaps somebody should have just told him that the secret privacy phrase in the Alberta legislature is just shields up and then you're safe. But this harkens back to, again, this sort of theme of entitlement that we're seeing from the Daniel Smith government. We saw and we talked about it on our last episode. There was a story that came out about the fact that Daniel Smith's campaign manager had been given a sole sourced contract for media production, memes production. There's nothing that was critically urgent about that, that any of those projects. But nonetheless, tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money went towards making sure that uh, her, her campaign manager got paid. Now, we talked about this last episode. I want to reiterate it again because it's so important to understand. When we're talking about sole-sourced contracts, normally the process is that the government says, hey, we need to buy 50,000 widgets. Who sells widgets? Give us your best deal on widget, widget makers. And then all of the widget makers give them uh, an RFP and they say, well, we can give you this price on 50,000 widgets. That's the normal process. A sole source contract is when the government says, hey, for a list of reasons, either because of uh, urgency or privacy concerns or X, Y, Z, we're not going to go through with that process. We're just going to pick this guy and that's what we're doing. They're not supposed to be a super common thing, and they're not supposed to be big ticket items. And one would think that they should be avoided when you're awarding that contract to the company that was started by, I don't know, your campaign manager. Maybe that's not the best choice. But there have been many other examples already. And Smith's only been empowered a couple months. But there's been a number of examples already where Smith has been utilizing these sole sourced contracts to award contracts to people that she or other members of her government have connections with, is how I'll say that. This is a long-standing problem. And it goes back so far that it was actually discussed in previous legislators. Let's see. Fortunately, there's this this wonderful Twitter account called at Disordered YYC that I don't know how they're able to find all of the footage that they do, but they are able to ferret this stuff out with incredible perfection. Um, so I want to give a big shout out to them. This is this is their clip. Full credit to them. But uh, let's see how some other politicians might feel about sole sourced contracts. Albertans know better, and some even laughed out loud when they heard the minister had said that. Maybe this line was given to him by Navigator, friends of premiers past and future, who got lucrative sole source contracts to supplement the spin efforts of the government's 200-odd communication staffers. Doesn't the premier think he should at least apologize for that? Ah, there you go shouldn't be using sole source contracts to help your friends says danielle smith to danielle smith moving on from there though and this is our last really big chunk before we open it up if there's anybody on the twitter spaces who wants to weigh in tonight we would absolutely love to hear from you um but uh the big story the big 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 story of the last let's go 24 hours 36 hours or so has to be the budget so after really showing all of their cards for the last couple of weeks in regards to how they were going to be be spending the provincial government announced their new budget and there's some there's some nuance to be had here for sure because 
when we start to take a look at how the we're going to rip off some graphs from economist dr tim he's got the credits in the corner so i don't feel bad about it um but he does these amazing flow charts where you can see where does all the money coming from what are the sources of all of the money how does it get spent where does it all go and it's a really wonderful graph because you can see natural resources take up a certain chunk taxes take up the, the biggest source of revenue. Those same taxes, by the way, that uh, we saw a $2 billion drop in the projected amount that we were supposed to be getting from taxes because of the affordability measures that Daniel Smith implemented, most notably perhaps being the fuel tax. The third biggest line item, the third biggest source of income, federal transfers. Federal transfers make up a huge amount of how much money Albertans get to spend in the budget. And then it flows through and we can see all of the areas that uh, the money gets spent in. So there's the, the operations section and then there's sort of the, the financial investee side um, and it goes from there. But there's some real nuance that needs to be explored in this. And we're going to talk about it in just a sec. The other thing that's important to highlight about the budget, this is another graph by incredible economist, Dr. Trevor Toome. Um, and this spells out how, how does the budget compare to other budgets? How much are we spending for operating expenses? Well, it turns out this budget is the most spendy budget that we've seen in the province of Alberta for quite a long time. And so that's that's interesting because there's all of this money that's being put into these operating expenses. So when we're talking about operating expenses, again, we're talking about health, education, post-secondary, senior social services, children's services, treasury board, justice, public safety, agriculture, energy, finance, uh, and then other. That's what we're talking about. So we're spending more money on operations with this budget than we have in recent history. But what we're spending it on, particularly... How we're spending it in those areas gets to be really, really important. And this is perhaps best highlighted in a tweet that came out today by journalist Anna Junker. And here's the thing. When we take a look, this, this tweet thread is just about harm reduction. So when we take a look, harm reduction is going to be getting 304 million dollars for the province of alberta that sounds like a lot of money until you take a look at the fact that in 2021 2022 the province spent 35.5 so on harm reduction during an opioid crisis that daniel smith and the ucp have used as part of the justification to send sheriffs into the biggest cities in alberta to supplement the police we're spending five million dollars less on harm reduction initiatives. What's particularly stunning is where that's coming from. So with this new budget, 14.5 million going for operating supervised consumption sites. What do we, Anna Junker does a very good job of comparing that again to 2021, 2022, 21.2 million. So again, we're seeing a massive drop in the amount of money 
that's going towards supervised consumption sites. It's really important to realize that when we're talking about this budget, what we're talking about is an ideological budget. Yeah, they're spending more money, but what they're spending it on is more privatization. Less of the evidence-based things that keep Albertans alive. And there's people calling it out. HSAA called out and said, this budget does not do anywhere near what they need to do. They talk about the fact that uh, even with the health update, one of the things that was included in there was the idea that it's now down to 17 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. Well, that's 17 minutes that uh, somebody could conceivably be doing CPR. But the most shocking for a lot of people moments of budget day didn't have to do with the actual budget. It had to do with who was invited. Through you, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome one of my constituents. She is a grandma, a musician, and a true leader within the freedom movement. She gave hope to all of Alberta, Canada, and the world. She was proud to stand strong and free in face of the worst government overreach in a generation, Tamara Leach. Tens of thousands of Canadians supported and helped Tamara. This includes a constitutional lawyer from Alberta who held the Prime Minister account during the Emergency Act inquiry. Please welcome Eva Chipiak and Tamara Leach. Ladies, please stand and accept the honourable member for Mason McLeod. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Now, there's a lot of people who have said, oh, they cut them off really quick. If you've ever been around for introductions in the legislature, that's just how fast they move. But nonetheless, here we have Drew Barnes introducing Tamara Leach. If you've been living under a rock and you don't know who Tamara Leach is, she is one of the key figures in as Mr. Barnes called it, the freedom movement. Other people would call it the yellow vest movement. Other people would call it the Wexit movement. Other people would call it the occupation of Ottawa. Because Tamara Leach was involved in all of those things. And she was one of the key figures in the Ottawa occupation. She was the key figure who raised the GoFundMe money. And here's Tamara Leach hanging out with Drew Barnes in front of Ralph Klein. Now, here's another thing that's important to realize about Tamara Leach. She's still got court dates pending. She's out on bail. She's not supposed to be appearing on social media. And yet everybody saw pictures of her flooding the internet, like this one, of her in the legislature. How it's not a parole violation. That's obviously up to, to somebody who has more lawyer stuffs than, than we do here. But it doesn't change the fact that uh, this is a thing that happened. But this isn't the only thing that happened. Because one of the other people who was invited to the legislature for Budget Day was none other than a key figure in the Coots blockade. 
Marco Van Hugenbos. I just love saying it that way. I don't know if it's right. I don't really care. He was part of a group that shut down the border. Um, he claims he was honored to spend the day at the Alberta legislature for the budget drop. Thanks, Todd Lowen, for the invite. Now, let's just take a second and, and we'll do some Alberta curriculum geography here. Because Marco Van Hugenboss lives in southern Alberta. He is a city council, town councilor, city councilor for Fort McLeod. He's about as close to the southern border as you can possibly get. That's just the reality of, of, of where Marco lives. He was invited by Todd Lowen. Todd Lowen is the MLA for Central Peace Notley, which is almost as north in the province that you can get. So this wasn't an invitation for a constituent, which is typically how these invitations work. This wasn't that. This was Todd Lowen saying, ah, oh, Drew Barnes got a freedom folk. I'm going to bring me my own freedom folk. I'm going to invite this guy. This guy, Marco Van Hugenbos, also has charges pending. He has court dates pending. Danielle Smith's UCP, Nathan Cooper, as Speaker of the House, allowed two people who have admitted publicly. There's no question as to whether or not they were involved in these events. There's no question as to whether or not Mr. Hugenboss was involved in the Coots blockade. He absolutely was. He was one of the key figures in it. There's no question as to whether or not Tamara Leach was present and a key organizer at the Ottawa occupation and attempted insurrection. And I want to be really clear about this because one of the things that's happened over the last 36 hours since it broke that Tamara Leach was introduced in the legislature has been a boatload of revisionist history. It's really quite scary how much work is being put into creating the narrative illusion i really don't know what to call it that tamara leach was just uh she was she was she was just a grandma she was just a grandma doing some 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 music and some some freedom fighting there was nothing illegal going on it's really important to remember hey first of all there is footage from ctv and we're going to throw it up on one of our next episodes because we're going to redo a whole friggin' timeline on this stuff because apparently there's some confusion out there where a CTV reporter said to her, hey, Tamara, the cops, they've all said this is illegal. You've heard that. You heard Buddy got arrested, right? And, she, and Tamara's like, yeah, yeah, I heard that. I did. What are you going to what are you going to do if when they come for you? What's your message to your followers knowing that this thing is illegal? What does Tamara Leach say? Hold the line. There's no question at that point that she knew that it was an illegal occupation. It wasn't a charter protest anymore. But the message that she sent was, don't leave, guys. Hold on to it. And all of this ignores the memo of understanding. 
because there was a memorandum of understanding that was generated by Canada Unity, which was a, which is an organization that was created by a gentleman named James Bowder. James Bowder is actually, by many accounts, the father of the whole Freedom Convoy. He had actually attempted a different version of the Freedom Convoy just a few weeks earlier to deliver the Memorandum of Understanding to the people he wanted to deliver it to. He was one of the people who announced before Tamara Leach started funding with the GoFundMe that they were going to do a bigger, better, better version of the, the Freedom Convoy. And when you take a look at what this memorandum of understanding says, it's very clear what this group was advocating for was to work with the uh, lieutenant governor, to work with the Senate, to create a transitional government that would issue edicts to all levels of government saying, all of the COVID restrictions, we're declaring COVID over. It doesn't matter what the ICUs say. doesn't matter what the data says. doesn't matter what the science says. We're just going to declare COVID over, and then we'll work on a, on a transitional piece. But it's very, very clear. They wanted to overrule every single level of government in Canada by asking the governor general to do something that is, by the way, not in her power. So as much as it's tempting to say, hey, you know what? Ah, it never would have worked. It doesn't change what the intent was. It's also worth noting that that memorandum of understanding wasn't withdrawn until like two, three weeks after the convoy arrived, after it became clear that it had become a point of uh, division, a point of, of trouble. That's when it was withdrawn. We don't have to go back far to look at all of the press conferences where we saw Tamara Leach and Pat King, who's a whole other rabbit hole to go down, and James Bowder and all of these people standing together. I want to be clear. I have no doubts in my mind whatsoever that there were a lot of people who attended the, the convoy and the occupation, not realizing what they were getting into. I don't have any doubts about that. I have no doubts that there were good people who bought into a line of bullshit. Thinking that they were doing something good. Thinking that they were fighting for freedom. They weren't, though. That's just the reality. I have no doubts that not everybody who attended the convoy and the occupation wanted to see the government of Canada and the provincial governments and the municipal governments overthrown and overruled by a bunch of people who don't even know how laws and stuff work. I have no doubts that not everybody was involved in that, but here's the thing. We know who was the official report has come down on the convoy and the occupation insurrection. We know that there was tremendous, Tremendous economic cost to the province of Alberta. Because of the Coots border blockade. Hundreds of millions, 
if not billions by some accounts of dollars that got lost because of those blockades. That's just reality. We know who the high profile figures are. We know who the people are who have defied their bail conditions and snubbed their noses at the rules that are supposed to keep society functioning. We know the people who have lied to the country about what their intentions were. We talked on our last episode about how Tamara Leach did a, an interview with an XPC MLA where she said, Oh, I love all of Canada. Now when I was in the convoy, it was, it was wonderful. And I realized that Canada is better together because there were some Quebec people there too, who also had our same ignorant views. And yet just a couple months ago, she appeared in an independence video with, I don't even know what to call him, hate monger, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. Archer Pulowski, who has made a career over the last couple of years defying health restrictions, manipulating people, saying horrible things about just about every demographic. That's who Tamara Leach hangs out with. The video is only a couple months old. That's who she did her interview with. This is who was introduced in the Alberta legislature. This should be considered the biggest possible affront, not only to democracy, but more so to the norms that keep democracy going. We have seen over the last several years, and COVID's been a big part of it, but let's be clear. The Jason Kennedys, the Pierre Polyevs of the world, they fanned those little sparks that have always existed as much as they possibly could. They turned them into raging fires. And those fires have been burning away at the norms that are supposed to be the things that everybody just plays by. Those social rules where there's those things that you just don't do. They don't exist anymore. For the people in the corridors of power, we've seen this with Danielle Smith when she's talked about, ah, if you got stage four cancer, you probably should have done more. We've seen this when Danielle Smith said, ah, the Ukraine, well, you know, if they just gotten rid of their nuclear weapons, never mind the fact that they did in 2001, before 2001, those all got repatriated back to the Soviet, to Russia. Those norms don't exist in this government. And when you don't have those norms, when you don't have those conventions that everybody kind of agrees on, here's the things that we can do. Here's the things that we just shouldn't do, particularly elected officials, because they are in a position of leadership. With Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes inviting in people who shut down the borders of our country with violence. who still have charges pending, who still have court dates pending, who have openly said that they want to see the dissolution of our country. 
These are the people that they chose to normalize by bringing them into the legislature. I don't know if we can get angry enough about this. I honestly don't. Because there are just no norms anymore. And that is a scary, scary thing. Because now it seems like as long as you're not overtly breaking the law, you can get away with anything. And we go down that road, we're in a whole lot of trouble. But all that being said, it looks like maybe we got a, we get to have a little bit of an appearance from the, the, the freshly turned 25-year-old Sarah Biggs. Sarah Biggs, happy birthday. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. I just finished a little bit of a, a little bit of a rant. I heard. I heard. I'm a... <sighs> so Sarah, what do you yeah. make of the fact that these two characters were That's fucking bullshit? There we go. <laughs> like I'm you know, you try to be polite and you're like, well, it's a slap in the face. I'm so disappointed and I'm so this and so that. you know, but you, you try to keep some decorum, but at the end of the day, like, are they fucking kidding? Fuck. I, I the, think law, the, the party that prides itself to follow law and order. This is what I'm saying. Is inviting insurrectionists to fucking legislature. Did they pass the metal detector? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't even know this, and this is this is the 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 fundamental question that that I have is like, one would think he said cautiously. One would think, but they don't think. Well, they don't. But okay, I'm going to speak from personal experience for a quick second here, and and just because I have some anecdotal personal experience in this. I had the privilege of being introduced in the legislature a few years ago as part of a recognition of the profession that I work in. And um, there were conversations in advance of, okay, so who are you sending? What's their background? Are we going to have any problems? Like there was a whole process that went into, is this going to be, uh, are are we inviting bad people into our house? In effect. Um, and I have no illusions that if anybody, I mean, nobody, because of the requirements of my profession, nobody's going to be like really bad just because you can't work in the profession and do that. Um, but if there had been somebody who had like a really problematic history, I have no doubts that they would have been like, and you're sending someone else. So it's beyond my understanding how it is. Like, I get that. Daniel Smith doesn't have a whole lot of sway over uh, particularly Drew Barnes. Todd Lowen, though, that's a different thing. And the other he's a minister of the crown. Nathan Cooper is the speaker of the house. That's his house. How he allows these two, and I'm going to use characters again, into the legislature when they have court dates pending for subverting democracy. And that's his, that, that's the, the whole GoFundMe thing that they did is also so opaque. And the Give, Send, Go thing is so opaque. These are, these, it's worth remembering that Give, Send, Go 
had a data leak of all of the donors of the mm-hmm. convoy. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we want to hold up as a model of these are the citizens that we should be recognizing in the legislature, the, the ones who wanted to destroy the country and also can't secure people's personal information. I mean, it's on brand for the UCP, but you go. Uh, I... There's no standards anymore. It's just a shame. It's like, it's fucking disappointing to see that, you know, we were told to, you know, stay home, be kind, help each other, mask up. And, you know, 95% of us obliged because we're smart enough to understand it's a fucking pandemic. But why should those people be introduced into legislature when they have charges pending against them? They are waiting for trial. They tried to overthrow the federal government and they were blatant about it. But then, like, fuck. Here's the other thing that bugs me. No, I'm really struggling with that one. When you listen to the clip, I mean, it's a very short clip, but when you listen to the clip and... I mean, I I, I, have I was so upset. Like I was stressed furniture building with my mother-in-law during the budget. Janice you know, Irwin confirmed. She retweeted our video and she confirmed multiple UCP MLAs. So we're not just talking so about two Barnes introduced them and everybody was like, oh. Okay, so here's where we're going to go straight to the chase. They're not conservative party anymore. They're not progressive. They are not the UCP. They are populists that are just trying to push their agenda. I think I'm done playing around here. Like, it's fucking bullshit. I'm so done. It's, you know, it was never about the vaccines. It was never about the mandates. Those guys got fucking sunk down into some cookery that, you know, like we say, two years of of pandemic, three years of pandemic in Facebook. Take freedoms back from what? Like, you look at the Take Back Alberta chat these days. It's fucking terrifying. What do you want to take the province back from? What do you want back? You have everything. Do you want to stop paying taxes? Be my guest. Move to Delaware. I don't give a shit. I really don't. Just, like, it has to stop. We need we need to have some decorum, A, in the legislature. B, we do have standards and we should be abiding to them. And C, what the fuck are we even thinking? Well, like, this is where it gets scary because I... They're I, not I... thinking. They're just pandering to their base. I'm done. I'm done trying to be like, yeah, but maybe, maybe, maybe. I know there's a lot of them working in the background extremely hard to try to prevent bozo eruptions. I know that for a fact. But one day it's going to be about goddamn time that someone gets up and says enough. Because we're not giving a good example to society. We're not giving a good example to investors. We're not giving a good example to our kids, to our teachers, to everybody that's have fucking suffered during the pandemic. You're going to take those two clowns and bring them to the legislature? Why? Why? It is not a conservative party anymore. I'm sorry. It's a Republican party. I'm done. There's here's here's where my 
Last night, I, and we're going to have the, an episode coming up on this in a little bit. Last night, I attended the book launch for uh, Dr. Dwayne Bratz and a few other folks. There's a bunch of really amazing political scientists who contributed to it called Blue Storm. Sold out uh, while, while I was there. And I had a conversation with a couple of political scientists, one of whom I'm going to keep the name off the record for the now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one of whom is doing some pretty significant research into polarization. And some of the things that he shared with me that I'm hoping I'm going to be able to get him to share on a future episode are fucking chilling. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, I try not to F bomb on the show, Mm -hmm. but some of the things that he, he, it is your job and you do a great job of it. I might add, but some of the things that he shared, some of the views that Albertans have some Albertans to be clear have about uh, political silos and whether or not certain people should live in certain neighborhoods and whether or not there's other concerns. Um, it's really like this is where more than anything, the leadership, the people who are in charge of the province should be saying, we got to pump the brakes because this has gone from we're we're fueling some populism to try to get a leadership race and, and, we've gone from that to this is getting more and more dangerous. You know how I express a while ago that I would be worried that someone would get hurt on me? It's already happened. And that's the thing. This is, this is one of the other pieces and it, it drives me nuts that we don't talk about this more, but this government, this current government We had somebody end their life on the steps of the legislature in protest. Yeah, that when was that 2019? Uh, yeah, late late 2019. That's a thing that happened in this province. Yeah, and you can say, well, you know, there's there's contributing factors for sure, but that individual was very clear what their reasons were. And yeah, but Nate, it's not. Like, I know someone got hurt, but this is a different, this is. It's a scaling up, that, is what I'm saying. Like, we should have yeah. looked at that situation when that happened in 2019. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the empathy. They don't. They do not have the empathy to look at people suffering. Look at the goddamn budget. Looks good if you just, you know, we talked about it this afternoon. It looks good if you look at it on the surface and the average person is just reading the newspaper. Oh, more money in education, more money in new, you know, business school at McEwen and this and this and that. Okay, it looks good to me. But when you start digging into the details, that's where the devil lies. There's a lot of social programs that are getting slashed. There's, you know, education. Uh, we're barely catching up on what we have taken away. Can't wait to see the new stats because, you know, that's just going to go deeper. It's a good thing we only have 10 provinces because boy, oh boy, and territories. Sorry, I should have said territories as well. But, you know, they they do not have or they do not have the will. I'm not going to. Some of them do care. And, you know, I, I you know who I'm talking about. There's some people that care. Yep. But. The individuals that are taking the lead right now within that party does not want to bother about caring 
because it is not, it will not advance their agenda. That's what I'm going to say. It is not bringing them any joy. It is not bringing them any more brownie points. Um, you know, if they do something that's a little too socialist, their base are going to go after them. They're going to threaten them with, you know, a leadership raise or something. But, you know, it's worse than reform. It's worse than everything else we've seen before. It's, you know, I'm worried that we're going to be... <sighs> One of the questions that I asked to a bunch of the political scientists last night was, hey, um, period in history where it was this bad, where are we at? And a lot of them said, you know, I would have said social credit, but it's worse. It's it's oh, it's, it's different. Thing. It's different this time, guys. It's not the same. We've seen, you know. Preston Manning, Stockwell, they all those guys, you know, reform, reform, reform. But that's... You got to hold the E. It's reform. reform. But this is different. We have never seen this before. The level of organization in the background right now is unseen. And I would say that it's... We're at a point where, you know, everybody's going to have to wake the fuck up because it's going to be too late. And, yep. you know, I do not know how to, you know, when you have a platform, when, you know, you, you do interview, you go on CBC, you go on radio and all that. You're trying to make people understand certain points. I'm going to see. Excuse me. Birthday sneeze. Um, birthday sneeze. But um, no, my I tried to put my daughter to bed. She was picking my nose. Um, oh, that'll that'll get you every time. That's what toddlers do. Um, but you know, uh, no, this is unseen. This is not, you know. And when you have platforms, you're trying to make people understand how bad things are and that they need to get, you know, involved. And a lot of people still believe that the NDP will win this hands down, but it's not the case. Because right now, for I would say at least 50% of all burdens, the budget looks just fine. So what do we do from there? How do you take action? How do you mobilize? How do you make people understand? Well, this is like this is the thing that I'm 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 trying to make sense of because I've seen some NDP MLAs say well, that wasn't cool, but I haven't seen like the like time to bring the guns to bear, y'all. Like, really, we we have here's here's one of the things that made me realize how far we've fallen because I was I was deliberately taking a little bit of a break um, from the the coverage yesterday, and so I wasn't watching all of the introductions. I was going to watch the Mr. Taves public speech and all of that, but uh, I saw I saw a tweet come in. Got a DM saying they just introduced to Merrill Leach. And I was like. Then you texted. Oh, no, you called me. Yeah. I, I decided not to listen to it because I was just like. But my oh, reaction, good. my reaction was. That's possible. And that to me is telling when. If you had told me. Even I'm not even going to talk about the NDP. Let's talk about Redford. If somebody told me that Redford or one of her MLAs had introduced somebody in the legislature of a similar, uh, let's say complexity. Um, 
my reaction deeper. I would have been like, there's no way. There's no way. They would not do that in the legislature. And my reaction yesterday was, well, I guess I have to go find that video. <laughs> and that's that's a sad reflection of, of, of where we are. Do you think my, it, my mother my mother in law doesn't swear a lot? She got most swear yesterday. Yeah, I didn't realize that your mother in law I hope I wasn't on speaker when I called because <laughs> Yeah, you were. <laughs> Please send my apologies. <laughs> no, but she was like, what the I love my mother-in-law. She's adorable. She's my biggest champion. But yeah, no. It's, oh, she's fine. She she has me. She's used to it. Um, but it's like inviting Charles Manson. I don't even know. I mean, he didn't actually kill anyone himself. No, but it's just no. so bad. It's Let's just so excuses. bad. And it's like Christine on. Anderson just parroting all fucking week. She was with Theo and Jamie Sally just tonight or last night or something, you know, because that's fair. Like, the thing is that all the individuals are associating with the premier have met with her. That's scary. Well, and the rumor is that uh that that smith again unsubstantiated rumor gonna make that super clear because i don't need that headache but the rumor is that uh one of the stories that's in the pipe is that smith had communications with christine anderson as well and again that's another one where i'm like man wouldn't surprise me and that's a problem (laughs) it is a problem it's like we're so jaded Oh, yeah, jaded. That's the word I wanted to use. Jaded. We have became we have become extremely jaded when everything is going on right now, and nothing surprises us anymore. And we need to stop acting like that because it's going to cause the province a whole lot. The, I got the, a, brain, the brain drain is bad right now. Just give it another two years. I got a quote here. I want to read because we just got this in the DMs, uh, and I think that it's it's. Uh, It's timely and important. Um, If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. There is even now something of ill um, omen amongst us. The innocent, alike with the guilty, fall victim to the ravages of mob law. Can you send me that? Abraham Lincoln. Um, Yeah, I will send it to you for sure. But so here's, here's what my question is. Looking at this budget, this is the least fiscally conservative budget that we've seen in years and it is it's an attack budget like the, it is it is using taxpayers money to attack certain things and to advance corporate interests uh there's there's no getting around that that's that's what it is where's how long let's let's do a pool how long does it take before we start to see that sort of language being used um by some of the opposition parties because I'll be honest, I was shocked to find I was doing some uh, some reading on Miss Leach today, and the there was a story that I stumbled across uh, about the Yellow Vest movement, which she was a part of in Medicine Hat, uh, and there was a very neutral quote that was provided. Um, because one of the events that happened happened in Brooks and there was an elected official at the time who gave a very 
tepid sort of, well, you know, people have concerns. Um, what's it going to take to get some, some, some of the leaders defending some democracy here? Uh, the NDP needs to wake the fuck up. That's number one, because what I've seen so far is weak sauce. Like, it's the day after the budget. and Okay, it's a two coffee kind of day. Sweet. Excellent. <laughs> when is it not a two coffee? It's a 15 coffee kind of day every day. Some days. Um, but I really hope they step up their game. I don't want to hear the most expensive summer ever, by the way. I really don't. Oh, that's awesome. We're not dumb, okay? Stop it. Jeremy Nolay, if you watch me, if you listen to me, look at me in the eyes. Stop it. It's not working. It's not going to work. Get down to the real issues because you guys are not on the right path right now. You know what concerns me when I saw the most expensive summer ever? You guys have already conceded. You've already said they're going to be in charge for the most expensive summer ever. As soon as you throw that idea out there, as soon as you throw that narrative out there, you're already saying, Hey, it's going to be the most expensive summer ever. You're already saying, but we'll be in opposition. I don't want to, I don't want to hear stuff like that. I want to, uh, and I don't know, I'm going to throw it to the comments. I'm going to open it up to the Twitter spaces as well. If anybody wants to tap in um, at what point do we like the, I, I keep hearing the same criticism over and over and over again. They're behaving like an opposition and that's cool and everything. And if it was any other election, I probably would care a whole lot less, but we had insurrectionists introduced in the legislature. Like this is where we are. This is what the stakes are. I don't, this is not the time to be a good opposition. And I'll I'll throw this out there to the UCP MLAs as well, to those good people that you and I both know, some of them. This is not this is not the time to, to coast. This is not the time to, you know what, I've maybe decided that I'm I'm gonna run for a different party or oh, here. decided that I'm I'm not gonna I, I want that ministerial spot, whatever the case may or maybe I'm you know, there's lots of possibilities. This is not the time to phone it in. This is the time to go all out. Balls out on the table. Okay, maybe not, because we don't have any norms in the legislature and I shut well, up. We're gonna have somebody showing up at the next caucus meeting. Like um so, but it, this is, uh, and it, it's, wake up. They need to wake up. They need to go all out. This is the election for them to lose. And they are losing right now. They're acting, we've been saying that for a while. They're acting like they're in a the position. They're acting like if, you know, they're going to be in a position for another four years. And, It needs to stop. It really does. Like, I do not know who the, I, I suspect it's the usual suspects for the strategy for the NDP. And I know a lot of people, you know, working on some packs or something are going to, you know, be upset and say that I'm wrong. But change your strategy now. It's not working. 
because right now, DUCP will be running on the budget. And the budget, when you do not know where to look, looks good. It does. And that's what they are relying on. Start attacking. Start being concise. Stop hashtag most expensive summer ever. I'm going to have a fucking temper tantrum if you don't stop. <laughs> like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, this is not 2019. This is not 2015. This is 2023 post-COVID, post-convoy, post-blockade. We are living in a polarized political environment. There are about 25 to 30% of the population that does not have a political home right now. Make a home from, for them, go get the votes. Because if not, they will vote UCP by default because this is how we're built in the province. So it's either they start understanding or they got to start retiring and looking for a new leader. I'm sorry. They're going to have to. I love Rachel. She's nice. She's smart. She's good. But at some point, guys, get out your goddamn bubble and start looking what's happening. Stop burying your head in the sand. Here's, I don't disagree, but here's, here's my thing. And this is, this is what, if I could line up all of the UCP caucus right now, ministers included, and say one thing to them, it would be there was already an insurrection on your watch. There was already plans to murder police officers for political reasons on your watch. History is going to judge you motherfuckers in a very serious way if you don't get your shit together. Because what we're heading for should terrify everybody. There is nobody putting the brakes on right now. It's Nobody has their foot on the brakes. The brakes are used at 90% and the handbrake's not working, okay? And they're driving a Lada, so it's a tank. So it's going to be a lot of damage. You brought okay. a lot of joke in. Respect. Um, I can make a lot of puns about that. It's just... It needs to stop. It really does. I Stop acting like you've already won and tried. To... It's like hoping for a miracle. Sure. I would love my tax bill to go away on April 30th. It just won't. I'm not going to hope for a miracle. I'm going to try to work harder to put other things somewhere else and try to avoid more tax. Like, but you know what I mean? Like, It's like, oh, cancer, go away, go away, go away, go away, go away. The crystals are not working, guys. Stop using crystals. The, be- the most expensive summer ever is a big fat crystal that you need to throw away and they, they really got wild up with this one, didn't they? I like I do not I do not understand the strategy. It doesn't make any sense. Like hold the government accountable, hold their feet to the fire, drill them, but it didn't help that they kind of cut out two days this week. But I hope, my hope, my hope, and you know, we might have to go light some little candles on Sunday because we really do need an intervention here somewhere. Um I hope that they're ready for Monday and they got their material because this ain't enough. You know, they, they forgot about women. 
We don't have a status of women ministry. We don't have a francophone industry. All the minorities are being shut down. And that needs to fucking stop. And it's part of everything. Like, they are the minority that are making our lives more difficult. And you know what? Um, I don't know. I'm hoping for a miracle on the wall, across a floor crossing. I don't, I, I don't even know what to expect. Like, I do not understand what's going on right now. And I do not, like, there was, it would be more, you know, if the NDP would have done the same thing. Oh, fuck. Hell would have, everybody would have lost their goddamn you mind. Imagine. And I'm like, we're not even talking about a, a criminal. I need to be clear, a criminal. We're not talking about a criminal in the example that I'm about to use. But can you imagine what the reaction would have been from the 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 conservative, the UCP or the PC's Wild Rose prior to the whole thing? If Rachel Notley had introduced David Suzuki in the legislature. Can you imagine and she didn't because there are norms that you don't go out of your way to generate conflict like that. We don't see that. Here's the thing that scares me. I was, uh, I, I, I'm not proud of it, but I was, I was looking at some of the, the Alberta Prosperity Project social media because I was doing the whole Dr. Zola bit earlier on in the show. I would never get tired of that joke. I just won't. It's so perfect. Um, but um, the... You go through the comments on the Alberta Prosperity Project. <laughs> the window when the Alberta Prosperity Project. And you take a look at some of their social media, some of the YouTube videos that some of their key members produce. When that's not extreme enough. Holy hell has the window moved to a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require a collective effort over a sustained period of time to move it back. And if call we- a priest, call a priest. It's time to call the priest, perform the exorcism or something. I don't know what's going on. I'm not a religious person. Oh, can I just acknowledge in public that my husband was awesome today and ordered a lot of goddamn flamingos and put them on my lawn well, with my name and 25 my age. Is, 25 isn't that many. You've got a big lawn. Sorry, I'm trying to lighten up the mood. You know, it's bullshit. And I hope the NDP is ready because they're in for a very, very, very bumpy ride. And I have about four minutes left because I promised my husband it wouldn't be too long. That's cool. And I, I was honestly, I wasn't even expecting to hop on. So that was a, a, yeah. a beautiful gift. That you but no, the, the, if you have time, guys, talk to your friends. Easter's coming. Um, you know, have the very hard Easter conversation of, hey, have you looked at the budget look at those line items how you know everything has been like cut down or barely put back in or barely made for made up for you know have those hard conversations at easter around the ham before you go sarah i just want to say you've been getting happy birthdays uh all the way all the way through the comments thanks guys there you go um Uh, my my uh, toddler sang me happy birthday this morning the best she could Aww. Um, and she came home tonight. Is that and, you or is that you? That's my husband texting me. Okay. And um, so she, my my husband bought me a present. It was in a bag. And she was running with the bag. She was like, here. And I was like, oh, thanks. And then uh, 
she saw candles, so she assumed that it would be a cake, and she threw a temper tantrum for 15 minutes because she had to eat dinner before the cake. And then we went to snuggle upstairs together, and she was uh, shoving her fingers up my nose. So that's how <laughs> Toddlers. Ah, those are the best years. But I'm not going to see her for the next three days, and then after that, I'm coming back, and then after that, we're in Mexico. Lucky you. But no, but yeah, no, guys, look at the budget. Seriously, have like we're gonna be doing like we're all working. It's, work is just crazy right now, but we're trying to put a summary. I'm gonna try to finish it by this weekend. I'm going to Edmonton tomorrow, um, so I'm gonna try to work on the next couple of nights because I'm gonna be all by myself, um, and I'm gonna try to put you know observations and everything that we can use and look at and compare. And I have amazing, amazing people helping me in the background right now with all the data because it's a lot of data. And the reporting kind of changed. It's kind of wonky, but that's okay. We'll make it through. Um, but, um, yeah, um, we're trying to put a brief together. But because, you know what, what's going to be happening? The, the, the... Can I say that Sundays is going to be our Bigs Budget Edition? Go Bigs or go home. There you go. <laughs> Anything else you want to say before we let you go and I do the wrap-up? No, no, no. You wrap up. I'm going to go. I got to go pack, do laundry. Got to hit the road at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. So it's going to be a big day tomorrow because uh, lots of work to do. I'm working on weekend. There you go. Everybody's working for the weekend. Some people will see me, some might not. Some people know, some people don't. I so, hear there's a lot of snow in uh, Edmonton right now. So oh, if you happen oh. to see uh, a Drew Barnes or a Todd Lowen, I find the trick is when you make the snowball, you have to really compress down to get the maximum aerodynamics out of it. But there's a lot of snow. I have a sports car that's very low. I'm sure the roads will be fine, but just find a nice big snowbank mm -hmm. and really just compress it. Don't don't put rocks in it or anything like that. That's not cool. But just a nice solid aerodynamic, so you get a good. I'm going. I'm going for lunch with my Alberta mom Friday with Kathleen Smith. That's good. There you go. Okay, love you guys. Thank, thank you for. You thank you for the well wishes, and we'll see you Sunday. With bells on. All right, that's it for tonight, everybody. Um, thank you all so much for the, the comments and for hanging out on the Twitter spaces. We had uh, not a lot of commentary. Save your comments up for Sunday. We're going to do uh, a show on Sunday, and I was really happy when we had people tapping in on the Twitter spaces last episode. So please feel free to do that. Thank you to everybody who was super active in the chat tonight. I'm going to have to read all of this after because it's just been going, uh, going really quick. Yeah. To be clear, no violence. That's not what anybody's advocating for. The snowball thing was a, was a joke. We do jokes. I did the Dr. Zola thing, obviously. And I made a cup, a lot of bad puns tonight. So, um, there's that. Um, but, uh, in the meantime, in the between time, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who continues to support us by sharing the content, by interacting with us on social media. Um, especially a big thank you to everybody who's supporting us on the, the Patreon. Uh, if you're not currently a Patreon sponsor of The Breakdown, you can be one by signing up at www.patreon.com slash TheBreakdownAB, where for the price of just a fancy cup of coffee or 
five F-bombs from Sarah. You can uh, help us continue to produce the kind of content that we're trying to produce here. Um, it's been a nutty couple of days. The good news is they announced that despite the fact that if you take a look at the legislative calendar for this year, it is like the lightest one that I could find um, in, in quite some time. And they just went ahead and gave themselves tomorrow and the next day off. So today and the next day off. Um, so that's, that's great. Hopefully things will be a little bit more calm for the next little bit. Everybody could take a little bit of a breather um, because this is, uh, this is going to be a, going to be a long haul. Um, I strongly, strongly suspect. But in the meantime, it's uh, the weather's supposed to be turning nice, at least here in beautiful Calgary. So if you get the chance, enjoy some of the weather. And uh, I think that's that's it for, for tonight. Take care of yourselves. Keep the conversation going.